This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I am Ramon. And Jonathan is present. Yeah, and, and Jonathan's <laughs> not here because we really, really dislike each other after last week's episode. Yeah, we just, we can't sit in the same studio together anymore and we've had to make other plans. In fact, we can't even be in the same city. Um, it's, it's so serious. <laughs> you know, it's, it's quite weird. We have one podcast where about sports and we both like Ben a lot. I just don't care about sports. He does. You do. And people think that we're fighting yeah. for some reason. It's weird. And look, we do fight sometimes and we disagree on plenty of stuff. But, um, you know, there was a time before this century where people could disagree on things and then they could go, but I don't hate that person because I disagree with them. And uh, we could like move on yeah, and yeah. still be mates. Yeah, so, you, but you sound like Dave Rubin where he says, oh, the world's gone to hell. No one can talk about anything anymore. And then every week he has a, a reasonable discussion with his guest. So we need to be, have you know a bit yeah. of perspective here that, yes, people have ordinary conversations every day on which they disagree. It's not weird. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, no, we're, uh, we're fine. I, I'm just out of studio this week. Uh, but thanks for patching me in. And uh, we've got a great guest lined up as well. Uh, um, just uh, do, oh, sorry, I, I think we'll leave it behind because we did talk about it before. Old uh, Malusi Gigaba, we said we didn't, we weren't interested in his sex tape very much, but he seems to just be cocking up. So, uh, in every other respect, well, as so long, I don't know if you wanted to chat about that. No, as long as he remains in position and Cyril doesn't take any action, as always, uh, I think it'll be good for the opposition, good for everyone <laughs> except the ANC. So, I don't really care. Yes. <laughs> right. All right, fine. Let's leave it at that. But Jonathan, this uh, this week we have one of your people in studio. <laughs> yeah, my people, my people in studio. Can you believe it? Yeah. We found another one. So I mean, we found another one. And, and, um, we and, managed to get him to come away from his banking job. I think uh, you know, running all of the banks. Uh, no, he's running Open Society Foundations. Don't you know that in, in South Africa? Ah, uh, okay, all right. right. Just the banks at night. And um, <laughs> what's interesting about him, Jonathan, is that we, we, I think this is the only Zulu Jew that I know personally, Mister Sihle Ngobese, otherwise known as Big Daddy Liberty. Welcome. Hey, thank you for having me, guys. Good to be here. Finally in studio indeed. after all these years. Indeed, indeed. It's uh, it's always lovely to. So it's lovely to be in Joburg, I can't lie. Um, but yeah, no, I'm just kidding. I love Joburg. It's, it's, it's growing on me. So, I mean, tell us. So, I mean, you were in the DA for, in, as a, what? As a spokesman for something or other in the Western Cape. Yeah. Um, I've had quite a few, um, roles, both in the party and in, within its government. Um, but yeah, began as a researcher, like most of us, I think. Um, you know, cut our teeth under some very skilled communicators. <clears throat> And uh, yeah, I eventually sort of ended up becoming one of the spokespersons in the provincial government in the Western Cape under social development. So yeah, it was a lovely little past life I had. So I mean, before Jonathan cuts in, um, why would the DA like put you in, a re- with, with respect to you, a relatively obscure <laughs> position when arguably your values are very uh, core to the traditional DA values um, at the time? Why would they stick you in some anonymous role? 
Yeah, I think the DA is a very interesting party. It's um, you know it, it prides itself, I suppose, in having a uh, a candidate selection process that is almost like a job interview in regards. You know, um, although I don't think I want to pretend as if people without political clout can make it in. Of course, you should have some form of political clout. So maybe they just never thought I had that. Um, you know, I sort of really I was relegated to mostly spokesperson type positions, which again I was quite happy with. I I don't necessarily have any uh, intention or goal of becoming a public rep. So I think that also came out uh, to those who are in the party. Um, I'm more of an ideas man um, at a ground level. You know, I do like keeping people honest um, in terms of. Let me speak in the context of when I was still in the party. I I, I enjoyed keeping people honest insofar as uh, classically liberal ideas um, and ensuring that we communicate those within our policies because um, the DA does have policies that are pro-market, uh, you know, pro-liberty. Um, unfortunately, it tends to have people who aren't so much pro-market and pro-liberty um, as public reps, some at least. Um, so it is important for them to have people behind the curtain, so to speak, you know, as a body of communicators on behalf of public reps, uh, who are actual classically liberal or, or liberal just broadly. Um, cause yeah, so, uh, I was once told by, uh, I can't think of her name in the party, but that, you know, the DA is not a liberal party. So there is a lot of confusion within the party. I always thought, um, around that. So, but yeah, I mean, I haven't really been a member of the DA for a very long time. Um, I just worked uh, in, in its government. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a past life now. Yeah. Um, let's talk about that a bit, Sitler, then in terms of the DA, cause you're not a member anymore and you're mm. not employed by, um, a government that they run. Yeah. So, I mean, you can be pretty open with, with your views. Yeah, I would be open um, before this, they, too. <laughs> um, that's yeah. what brought my notoriety <laughs> story, in the party. Um, but, you know, they, they do seem very confused. They have seemed confused for quite a long time. I think that's an interesting point you raise about someone saying they're not a liberal party. I don't know whether they were saying they're not liberal enough or they're actually not liberal as in they're, they're on the right um, and they're conservative, perhaps. Um but they do seem very confused about who they are. Um, it seems to be messing with their messaging. And they've got a lot of um, radicals, it would seem, in their party who want to push a certain message and agenda. Uh, and that just uh, is interfering with a lot of things. We've got, you know, the likes of Kunzile Pandam, who uh, will happily call DA voters on Twitter racist um, without much basis. Um, and... You know, there are a couple of, a couple of others on both sides for that matter who sort of muddy the waters about what the DA actually is, what it stands for. And then, I mean, you, you would have been somewhat connected to this, the whole Delil thing that happened in Cape Town. Um, and a couple of people leaving the party over the past couple of weeks claiming that the, it's a racist party and all of this kind of, um, stuff that goes on. Uh, yeah, just give us uh, some sort of insight. Yeah, I think it's it's very interesting. Um, I'll begin with the last bit. Uh, you know, the sudden sure. revelation people have when they leave the party that oh, it's it's a racist party, and somehow they were there and trying to steer it away from its quote unquote racist tendency. I mean, that's absolute poppycock. It's absolute poppycock. I mean, these are people who, uh, if you really look at, at at their rise in the party, have had a meteoric rise. They they were leadership. They and you know. 
for those who've stayed, they are leadership. Um, and they've been part of building the very DA that they're now slating as racist. So it, it, it almost begs the question sometimes of what are they actually saying? Are they, are they saying that their revelations around what they see as being wrong with the party only sort of happened when at the point of leaving the party, that somehow they had this, you know, this aha moment and, you know, they left in, with, uh, on principle. I, I don't actually think that's the case. Um, you know, anything in politics is about power, control and personalities within that space. And I think this is just a case of personalities who clashed, who had different ideas around things. Um, and I just maybe not as responsible enough, perhaps if, if I can say that's the case to just be honest and say, look, you know, my set of ideas were not popular and I lost out. Um, or alternatively, for those who are actually implicated, um, in alleged wrongdoing, you know, they need to be quite frank in saying, look, I mean, honor in politics has just totally dissipated. Um, you know, the, the DA used to pride itself. That used to be its brand. Um, the idea that, you know, these are politicians who stand by their words, who are generally speaking honorable, um, and do the right thing. And it's, it's been very funny to watch, um, you know, these particular characters then sort of leaving the party under a cloud and then resorting or using the race argument because it's such low hanging fruits in this country. You know, it's so easy to just say, oh, you know, the, the DA is racist. Um, oh, how is it racist? Where is it racist? Oh, you know, there were nothing specific, but just because I'm now, um, you know, uh, uh, sour with the party, I'll just say it's racist and, 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 and be, and, and leave it at that. So I find that very weird because I've left the party and I don't, you don't see me saying this, not because I have some sort of loyalty to it, no, but more because that's not necessarily true. I, I never experienced any form of racism in that party. It's a party which I, for a while, was quite committed to helping build, um, and also steer, uh, you know, uh, responsibly down the line of a classically liberal, um, uh, path because that's what I believe the country needs. We need to be a society that encourages, um, maximum amounts of freedom for South African families because we've never really had that. Whether you go back in history to our colonial times, uh, apartheid, even to this government, freedom and liberty, liberty aren't something which have been the hallmark of South African society, how we organize South African society. It's always been one form of control by politicians. Uh, or one form, one iteration of a politician to another, whether it's a colonial politician, a apartheid nationalist, Afrikaner nationalist, or even today, the African nationalism that we're seeing, which is yoked to socialism. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I digressed a little bit there, but the point I was making is, you know, it's very important for politicians to have people who support them, who are actually consistent in, in ideas and ideology, and also to help them spread the message, um, as as they should, because that's that is actually a politician's job. It's to be an evangelist for good ideas, <laughs> although you do have more politicians who are evangelists for bad ideas. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, um, I, I think that's the sort of be all end all of, of how I view that situation. I, I I do question people who sort of leave the party and accuse it of this stuff when when they were in the party they said nothing, and by the way they were earning rather lucrative public servant jobs, uh, excuse me, uh, salaries, and they were very quiet. You know, suddenly the racism didn't exist then. Um, so it's a bit um, dubious when they leave and they start saying this stuff. Yeah, no, but racism happens when you, um, you know, when you, when you lose your, your cushy job, not, not during your cushy job. Uh, because, you know, things are so racist that they pay you a lot of money, uh, you know, just to make up for the racism in, in any institution, right? <laughs> like, like, like a criminal organization, it's hush money, you know, come on. I mean, these people are, um, I think those, and I, I'll be quite frank in saying this. 
those individuals who are implicated in wrongdoing need to do the right thing and open themselves up to scrutiny by recognized law enforcement uh, agencies, especially because they've, they've totally tried to avoid accountability from the party. I mean, we've seen this play out in a very sort of comical, but really not that funny way um, with people speaking about processes and having not been found uh, guilty by this or that, but at the same time evading those very same spaces that are trying to inquire on the allegations against them. So um, insofar as that is the case, those people must do the right thing um, because the health of South African politics, or rather how we view our politicians, kind of depends on that. I mean, for a very long time, we've seen this sort of behavior in the ANC where a politician will feign one thing, you know, oh, I, I'm totally open. I, you know, you can investigate me. And as soon as wrongdoing is found, playing this long game of delay, um, you know, red herrings, offering red herrings, um, and actually just totally evading public accountability and even party accountability. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just a weird thing to watch that happen in the DA, where for the longest of times, this has been the party that has fought against that, uh, at the very least by just pointing it out in the ANC. Um, so it's a big test. And again, I'm a, a little bit of kudos to the DA. You know, they've tried to actually hold people accountable. Um, as to whether that's been effective, that's a separate debate and separate matter. Yeah, yeah, quite. So, I mean, my, I, I really want to know, when did you feel that disjuncture between your ideas and the ideas of the DA start to, to drift apart? Because I assume when you started, you were under the impression that your ideas were the norm. Yeah. Within that party. And then, I mean, how long did it take you to realize maybe it's not the norm? Or how long did it take you to realize that they are drifting from the norm. Was it ever a norm in the first place? And when did it start drifting, if it did? It's a bit funny for me because I've never been a... I'm not the politician type, uh, which sounds funny and counterintuitive maybe because people experience me online and on social media as being very sort of, you know, a lot of politics and and economic stuff. But just my even being in the DA was quite a bit of an accident. Um, I'm more of a hard worker. Um, and stuff happens around that. Um, mostly it's accidental. I mean, just a brief history of how I even joined the DA was back in 2008 um, on campus. You know, I, I had no intention of joining any particular party. My thing was a frustration at how uh, student politics was happening. I mean, at UKZN, uh, Natal University, we only had the ANC Youth League, SAS, uh, SASCO, and the SACP, and they broadly call themselves the uh, uh, Progressive Alliance or something, Young, Young Progressive Alliance or something like that. Um, and these guys would run against each other in an SRC election and pretend as if they're different. And I was like, this is nonsense. These guys are the same kettle of fish. Um, so, yeah, my, my only goal back then was just to start something that gave students an alternative voice um, so that an SRC can actually do something meaningful for students. Um, and I just despise the left also. So, you know, I just, on that basis, I wanted to build something classically liberal where students can actually in entertain ideas that are not prevalent on a university space. University spaces, whether they're in America or even here, are not liberal spaces. They are spaces for socialists, trendy lefties, and this weird coalition of social justice wimps who have formed this odd and very dangerous cricket coalition in this country. Um, and it's, it's dangerous because those guys are moving into the professional spaces once they finish university. I mean, they're becoming the journalists that we consume media from. They're becoming the guys in corporate South Africa, you name it. And they're pushing those toxic ideas that are sort of born out of critical theory and, um, and cultural Marxism into the workspaces and they're changing them. 
And that's what, you know, when, when France, for example, France Cronier from the Institute for Race Relations, when he speaks about the battle of ideas, they've been waging the battle of ideas and they're kicking our asses. So, again, I digress. The point is, you know, I, I started um, just rallying students around these ideas and I looked around me and I said, okay, who's the closest thing to me? Um, it was never me going to them, so to speak. And the DA... Uh, won in that race. I mean, it was between the IFP and the DA, IFP being a federal party in its approach to things, and the DA being um, what I thought, at least then, a classical liberal party, um, just broadly a liberal party. So the DA won. I took my last, what was it, seven rand in my pocket, took a taxi to the DA office in, in uh, provincial office in KZN, and here I am walking in this ragtag dude in poor clothing, uh, pitching this idea that actually you can b- build a broad coalition of liberally minded students who are freedom loving, who actually want to see that campus prosper and, and be, and, be, and from that base build something that can actually grow liberalism in this country. And yeah, that's how I accidentally joined the party, quite literally. Um, and I led them to their first SRC election on that campus and they got two seats. So that then garnered me the, respect, I think, in the party that saw me then rise and get opportunities. So I'm always indebted to the party on that basis. They've they've opened doors for me. Um, that's how I'll be the last person to sort of slate them unfairly. But at the same time, I will honestly criticize them when they when they falter. All right. So so let's let's get into this when they moved, as Ramon was saying, either they moved or they didn't move. They were never really there. I, I get the sense that they were, if you look at the roots of the party, certainly um you know going back to the dp and 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 before that during during the apartheid years um the they certainly were the classically liberal party um mm. at some point mm. and um it's very hard to tell these days because you have people who do, do classically liberal things gavin davis who recently left um michael cardo uh you know who who seems to to make the right noises in that respect uh, john steenhazen um there are people in the party who uh, seem to be somewhat classically liberal, although I'd even argue that Helen Ziller has moved away from classical, classical liberalism because she believes in a capable state and, and she, she wants to give far too much power, in my opinion, to the state. Um, so, so what do you think's happened in the party in that, um, you know, the DA seems to be embracing you know, what you would call trendy lefty ideas or, or socialist types of ideas. Certainly mm. a lot of the social justice stuff has seeped in. Um, and they're buying it hook, line and sinker. And I wouldn't be surprised to see a DA in 10 years time, which supports a minimum wage, um, which supports a relatively large welfare state. Um, you know, the, the, when we had our recent discussion with Gwen, sorry, I'm going on a bit, but I just, just to give context, when we had a recent discussion with Gwen, mm. um, you know, Gwen, who, who uh, previously was very hard line on a lot of these things, was suddenly talking about almost the melting pot of different ideas. You know, well, we can have socialists in the party and we can have <laughs> capitalists and we can have libertarians and we can bring them under a broad church. And, you know, really, we can listen to all these voices and then we'll make a decision as a party. And that's what we'll stick to. So so where's it all gone wrong, in your view? Mm. <clears throat> I think the party... When I joined, at least, and when I became a staff member, junior political researcher in parliament, the party had perhaps one of the most eminent minds in classical liberalism ever in this country. 
I'm talking about the late Julia Friedenhaus. Um, excuse me if I butchered that surname, but she was someone who was the head of the research unit, and I had immense respect for that lady. Um, I then had Gareth Van Onsling, you know, uh, back then when he was still in the party. These are people I cut my teeth under, and I, I, I garnered an immense respect for just the intellectual power house that was the the back room, the engine room of the DA. That slowly whittled away when the party was starting to grow. And I must say, Helen uh, uh, perhaps takes a little bit of blame here because it was part of her strategy, you know, what she used to call building um, a broad um, uh, grouping of constitutionalists. This is something she used to speak a lot about in terms of a strategic direction Mm. for the DA, um, where she'd argue that, you know, these aren't the people that are, she's bringing in don't necessarily have to be um you know hardline classical liberals but they have to believe in the constitution now some of us could see the writing on the wall of that it was a bit problematic but at the same time you know everybody's caught up in the euphoria of this growing party with just one a province um you know just our representativity representation party in parliament was growing um and there was a very positive mood and i don't think people questioned um, this enough back then. Uh, we saw the rationale behind it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, this is politics. Politics also is a different thing. Um, you know, I, and I often say liberals in politics have to be in the business of winning hearts and minds. And to do that, sometimes you have to work with people you don't necessarily share the same platform with, but generally speaking, you share the same direction with. And it's, it's still up to you though. Even in that situation, it's still up to you to actually shift those people towards your ideas. That's that's actually the goal. When you stop doing that, that's when you then start seeing this broad church nonsense where you believe you can house people in a broad church and they can all be socialist or libertarian. I don't think I buy that. That's 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 crap, if I can just use that word. Um, but what you can do sure. is you can bring people in with the view of showing them why your ideas are better. And it's that's your job. I mean, if you're, if you're liberal in, in politics, that's your job. You've got to be able to, um, have the conviction of your ideas to sell them to people and to shift people and then grow a party on that basis. Um, but anyway, directly going directly to your question, I think it sort of began to, uh, you, you saw the cracks a little bit when all these disparate groupings in the party then wanted to have their own voice, right? Because that's what politics is about. It's about building your power base. And then from that, um, seeking to, to assume control from that uh, position. And this happens in any and all political parties. Control is ultimately what a politician wants. Um, which is ironic because, you know, if you're a classically liberal po- politician, you want to hand control over to other people, namely families and society. But, yeah, I think the DA sort of fell into that trap and we are now seeing the fruits of that. Um, and they're very bitter f- fruits because you suddenly now have public reps who openly challenge each other on, on policy issues. And you think, well, hang on, but the party should have one policy position. Um, I don't mind people having different, um, you know, tweaks here and there, you know, per- preferably erring on the side of freedom. But when you have someone who openly says, uh, you know, the state should take more control of this or that, or uh, we need to try and reinvigorate some state institution or whatever the case may be, that's when you start sort of having your your tyranny radar go off because um, yeah. you recognize what you're dealing with. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, the DA is not 
I don't think it ever was, but it's not interested in in fighting the battle of ideas. It's interested in governing. Yep. Um, because it's uh, somehow things that can beat the ANC. The ANC has no moral foundation, no ethical foundation, no political foundation whatsoever. All they have is history yep. on their side. And history and what people feel and what people have been through is far more powerful than any ideology yeah, that happens. one can have. Absolutely. And as soon as you say you're ready to govern, you're going to make concessions to every Tom, Dick, and Harry socialist, communist, nationalist, traditional leader, uh, white farmer, you know, someone living on the Cape Flats. You're going to make concessions and you're going to try and envelop all of these people under one umbrella, one coalition. And then, you know, I need to find out that you actually stand for nothing and you fall for everything. Mm. Uh, the, the ANC do, do it well because they killed the opposition in the 80s and negotiated on behalf of the masses um, in the early 90s uh, under, under Codessa. Uh, and the ANC did that very well. The DA doesn't have a history. The DA has been around since 91, I believe, or, or it, it's going to... The DP started in 94 or Yeah, I mean, it has a history insofar as the different iterations before. Yeah, they got the Progressive uh, you know, Party yeah. so, and, and all And that. the Progressive Party. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it has a strong tradition and a history in that regard. But the always, problem is, always as the small, ideologically pure yep. party. Yeah. Um, because it understood its role then. It would never beat the nationalists. Yeah. Politicking. Well, but it could show the nationalists why they're wrong and why they're idiots. And Susman did it very well. And she was very effective. And true. very effective. Um, which was a birthday yesterday, by the way. Absolutely. And, and our DA on Said Twitter. Said nothing about it, by still, the way. I mean, the spokesman did, but who cares? Um, but anyway, but the DA has lost the... Well, nothing significant. But anyway. The DA has lost that they should be the uh, intransigent minority party. Wait, let the ANC... Well, not, not let the ANC run right, so to speak. But whenever they do, just just attack them. Just surgically and precisely attack the ANC or any other party that goes against... The core beliefs of the DA, but now the DA wants to govern. So, core beliefs. Ah, who cares as long as there's power, right? Look, uh, that's the danger of politics. Unfortunately, um, you, you start uh, you start drawing in people who their only goal in things is not the transmission of ideas and you know helping to build a property earning and prosperous society. That was always my goal. But you start having people around who are more interested in just the acquisition and retention of power and <laughs> service delivery or you know, the battle of ideas, that all becomes secondary, in fact, even incidental. Um, for them, it's just, I'm now in a position X, and this position is really good for me because it gives me a platform, it gives me a great salary, um, and this is all really I want. Um, and anything that threatens that, they will become um, very vicious, very vicious to, yeah. to ideas and new ideas. And that's what you're beginning to see um, to a greater and a lesser extent, depending on where you, you, you know, which DA you're talking about. You know, DA in Gauteng or DA in the Eastern Cape with the PE or what was then PE, uh, the, the governance of PE and um, the DA in the Western Cape. You have these personalities who all have very different um, goals and it's a bit Risky in that regard, but all you need, and this is just a final gasp on this point, all you need is a strong leader who can keep the machine, so to speak, honest. How it does that or how he or she does that is have people around them who actually care about the mission of transmitting ideas in society and improving society. I mean, one of the things I used to believe in, uh, Ramon and guys, uh, is, you know, you can have a small just on that point about it was always a small thing, but yeah, you can, you can have a small group of people with an idea march through the institutions of government and state and society 
to change them. I always used to believe that. But the problem then becomes when those people maybe have a taste of power and then it corrupts. It does corrupt. And it becomes very difficult for you to then keep certain people in line or, and I hate that expression because it suggests, you know, that I'm some sort of commissar, you know, um, you know, whip cracking the word. But the point I'm making is, is it becomes very difficult when a party grows and it grows the people who actually aren't interested in why that party even existed in the first place. Quite. Jonathan, you're still there. You, you, know, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm still here. Sorry, Ramon, please mute your mic when you're not uh, speaking. Um, your sniffing is killing me. Um, <laughs> but, um, but, um, the, not, not your phone mic, by the way, your board mic. Um, you know, it's interesting because Ramon and I hold similar views on this, um, with regards to, you know, not being, you know, purity tests are for idiots. You really want to win, essentially. And, um, so that's a, that's a difficult, a difficult thing to do. You know, the U.S. for, has been a good example of this. Um, the, a lot of the Republicans have realized that, uh, you, you can be that pure conservative and keep losing, or you can, uh, make some sort of compromises on things that don't really matter, uh, much like, uh, telling the media to piss off because you're not going to be polite anymore. Um, and in so doing, you get your judge appointed to the Supreme Court. So there's, there's a little bit of that. Um, and then there's something I'm noticing about democracy and democracy being co-opted by the left, um, for quite nefarious means. So, um, you know, the, the, the U.S. system, for example, set up as a republic, there's been a lot of suggestions that South Africa should be set up in similar respects. Um, we had, um, um, Musiwa Lakota on the show who was talking about uh, representation in parliament, for example. Um, and, you, you know, a lot of people don't seem to understand what a republic is versus a democracy. And uh, they also seem to seem to fail in this understanding of um, uh, sort of representation. And what, what, I'm, what I mean by this nefarious use of democracy is is that this idea that if we can get sort of a mob to, to go in a certain way, then everyone else needs to follow the mob. That's, that's the, that's where democracy seems to be going for the left. So they, 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 they get a certain uh, wave of, of, of voting to a certain extent. And they think that if the majority thinks a certain way, that means everyone else needs to think a certain way. You know, typical leftist thinking, we must all think the way we think, um, but we're going to use democracy to enforce it. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about both of those things, uh, in terms of, in terms of, you know, winning matters, uh, but also in terms of this use of democracy. I don't know what sort of comment you have about any of that. It's a bit of a weird one because I don't think the left are interested in winning anymore. Um, I think they're more interested in growing. It's funny, you, you were sort of touching on it, the idea, the, the mob, the mob modus of, of doing things. I don't think a mob is necessarily interested in winning because it believes, you know, it, it has the, uh, the right ideas or, um, even offers a better future for, a better option, sorry, for, for those, um, who disagree with them. They're interested in building a mob with the intention of silencing the other, not winning, 
because um, winning often yeah. implies that you know you've, you've you've shifted other people, right? So you you had this this often rational debate, and you know because you had the 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 more accurate fa- facts, and you're able to put together a concise um, and and reasonable argument. Uh, those people shifted, right? So that's that's how we we we, we traditionally understood um, the the you know. Uh, Ramon looks like he wants to yeah, say something. Sorry, that, that's, the, that's the way the, tr- the traditional conservatives thought about winning, winning by argument. Uh, only to find out that uh, if, if you bring words to a gunfight, you're going to get shot. Um, in a metaphorical sense, of course. So, so now you went through absolutely smashing the opposition to bits, demonizing them completely. And, um, mm. and then, you know, and that's the way you do it. That's the way the ANC and the EFF do it and very, very well. The DA comes out and be like, oh, principles important. And if, if we're in charge, our people will do a lot better than the ANC people. ANC just comes out and says, you were in bed with the National Party for 20 years, so you're just a apartheid apologist. That's a far better argument than saying our people will be better for the SOEs than the ANC's people. So anyway, that's my point. No, no, and, and it's a valid point because, and it goes to where I think I was trying to build this in, in, in terms of saying, the left now, and even some of us on the right, I must be honest, but the left now are more interested in building a mob which is there to terrorize the space that was traditionally occupied by those looking to debate ideas. Um, if you instill fear and you rule by fear, and fear, by the way, isn't necessarily linked to, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to hurt you here in the here and now. Sometimes it can just be the fear of speaking. Um, you know, one of the things that was... Uh, Sort of blew up on on uh, social media yesterday um, by one of the dear MPs. I just can't think of her name now. Was you know she criticised this notion of whiteness and how it's become the word, at least the concept of whiteness has become so common. You know, uh, 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 was it Belinda? Yeah, Belinda yeah, Belinda Bazzoli. Thank you. Um, you know, and, and I, I I actually made the comment that it, it you know if you are a those of us in in sociology and even psychology can spot this kind of stuff. It's called concept creep. It's this idea that you take a word which is understood by everybody, um, and you slowly but surely expand its definition. You, like you just you, you you can include anything to basically mean that particular word with the view eventually of perverting its actual meaning. Um, you, you're essentially policing language in a very sort of nefarious and insidious way in that regard. And the left have mastered that. That is literally if you want to talk about this whole thing. Of oh, you're perpetuating violence in this space. That is a form of I'm hearing myself say this, um, but that's that's essentially one of their tools in the arsenal, if you will, that they've begun to do this in the march towards yeah, actually that's becoming creep of violence. Absolutely, uh, in in the march towards becoming, uh, or you know, eventually using uh, manipulative. Coercive manipulative power, which then comes with state guns, you know, um, and that's what they're trying to build. The ANC is slowly moving towards the left, and I shouldn't say slowly; it's it's moving quite rapidly actually towards the left. It left. Following, it, it, like literally, jumped in following Julius Malema's lead, um, because if you really look at our history, recent history in this country, the left have actually been a rather defeated. Uh, pushed into the corner uh, grouping. I mean, you had uh, Azapo, Azania. These guys whittled away and died, you know, like a, a very quiet and uh, meaningless death. I mean, the last vestige of what we had was the PAC, and that also sort of died away. So well, Malema's been... It's a, sorry, it's, yeah. a, it's a certain type of left, right? It's, well, a, it's the African nationalist left. But if you look at the SACP... Stronger than ever. It's more that pan-Africanist left. That's Um, right, pan-Africanist. And it's very important to actually understand them because for a very long time, they were the ultra left in this country. They're the ones who are speaking about violence being a a legitimate means to coerce 
um, society and the ideas in society. Um, and that was resoundingly defeated in this country where people actually said, no, we're closer towards being in the center. And really most South Africans are quite conservative, to be honest with you. Um, and they, they, you know, stuck with the, the, the ANC then, which spoke more the language of, um, aspiration. We, we can build a, a cohesive non-racial country, et cetera, et cetera. I'm digressing. The point I'm trying to whittle down to is this. Um, if you look at what's now happening in this country, it's almost the return of that left who have essentially been allowed in by an ANC who are very uncertain of themselves um, and are feeling very threatened and are feeling threatened by someone who really is actually a bit of a non-entity to them. 6% party is really should be a no a non-entity to a party that has the sort of dominance the ANC has. But because the ANC has ceded so much ground to the EFF on, on policy issues, a lot of people who had sort of given the EFF uh, not even like the time of day are actually going, well, hang on. If the ANC are now beginning to, um, you know, parrot the, the, the rhetoric of the EFF, why am I going the long way around and supporting the ANC when I could just go straight to the source? And that's how the left, politically at least, is gaining traction. The left is then also gaining traction in other ways, um, by taking over other institutions, essentially marching through the institutions, um, both of academia, society, the workplace, with the policing of language, um, and the whittling away of, of, uh, freedoms that we all enjoy in this country, like the freedom of, of, um, expression and even association. And let me be precise and specific. If you look at individuals who um, self-identify as being an AfriForum supporter and wanting to join AfriForum as, as, as you know, a paid-up member, those people will be slated and slandered and dragged through the mud simply by wanting to associate freely with AfriForum and, and you know, push uh, AfriForum's agenda, whatever that may be, on a particular issue. Um, and that's a form of policing freedoms that I, I speak about and that the left is becoming a, 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 an expert in doing that. Yeah, quite, quite. Because, I mean, based on the research from the IRR, uh, we, we'll get to that there, Sihle, uh, because you, you actually, believe it or not, we didn't bring you in here just to talk about the DA um, <laughs> at all. But, I mean, if you look at the IRR research… Um, well, we're talking INC now. Yeah, I mean, IRR research says, you know, eight out of ten South Africans are, are, are pragmatic centrists Absolutely. at the end of the day. That they care deeply about um, about the economy, they care about the kids' education, they care about making money to feed their mm. families and things like that. That's right. And And… Socialists and Julius Malema knows this very well. You can't actually bring those people to love his party. All you can do is sort of bludgeon their intuitions to make them bad. Absolutely. So if you care about, if you care about the economy, oh, you just care about making rich, uh, white people richer. If you care about education, you're just talking about inequality of private schooling and making the whites better off. Uh, you know, that sort of stuff. You pathologize what they actually care about. And the left does it very well. And Julius has done it very well. And that's why but, I get frustrated. Sorry, John, I'll do one more. I get frustrated with the DA because yeah. Julius has far more influence with a third of the electoral power of the DA, but he, he exercises ultimate control of that paradigm. Whereas the DA has got, you know, 24% and they, they just cannot even control that properly. Well, the, the DA is trying to be all things to all people right now. And because of that, they're not really focusing on core messaging and winning hearts and minds. That is, a, if you are a liberal in politics, that is your number one daily bread. You are there to win people's hearts and minds by ideas that actually advance um, the sort of society people really want, a society where people are free, they're able to pursue their own self-interests, um, they're able to grow wealth by building an income, and, and with that income, building household savings. And you shouldn't, and be ashamed of, you shouldn't be ashamed 
for having these ideas in your head. Absolutely. And that's you should empower those people to come out and say, fuck you, everyone. I believe what I believe and I'll pursue it. And if you come for me, I'll use my liberal rights as a gun owner to shoot you in the face. <laughs> I mean, I don't know why the DA doesn't do this. Well, look, um, if, if, if there's anything the EFF have done well then is to do exactly that with their 6%, which is be so dogmatic and so unflinching, unyielding on their points that a lot of people then begin to even, especially those who are more insecure, question themselves. And you actually, it, really, kudos to the EFF. I mean, if there's one thing you really should sort of do a little slow clap for is exactly that. I mean, My lemma has wielded that 6% in that parliament to great effect, where even the ANC are beginning to cower away from their own positions. Because the ANC, for a very long time, its great popularity was born out of the fact that it spoke to black aspiration. The idea that you, uh, living in Kharankuwa, in Emlazi, in Kailicha, um, if we put in, you know, the right kind of policies, and they did for a while. I mean, we had a period of growth in this country between 2003 and 2007, which was 5% year on year. And you saw an improvement in the, in the lot of ordinary South Africans. Um, I mean, unemployment, um, Excuse me, the number of employed people um, grew in this country. People earning an income grew. Uh, they were able to, and with that income, they were able to buy themselves better options. I mean, one of the reasons why we're seeing a a, a flourishing of these uh, private schools, for example, is because you now have a, a black middle class, which is bigger than the white middle class, that's grown, and it's, it's buying these services. I mean, the private sector has been a beneficiary of that to the extent where even the private sector has now begun to lead the way on many issues. I mean, for example, on safety and security, the private sector, uh, sector in this country, I must say, and I, I, I'm, just, I'm ashamed to say it, but are leading the way. I mean, you have four to one the number of security guards uh, versus a police officer, but that's because private individuals within families with an income with options are buying that in order to su- secure their their peaceful, if you will, piece of South Africa. You know, being able to pr- protect their families and more importantly, the, excuse me being able to protect their property and more importantly, their families. Um, so that's the kind of society we could have if we, I mean, one of the stats, uh, very briefly, uh, one, one of the um, uh, stats that uh, our analysts in the IRR um, um, uh, sort of speak to is that if we had maintained that 5% growth um, between 2004 and 2007, 2003, 2007, if we had maintained that 5% growth in 2020, our unemployment rate would have been 10%. So that is a very stark reminder of what happens when you move away from good policies that are actually moving the country in a good direction and start adopting a dogmatic message, you know, really sort of barked at us by a 6% party um, in, with the view of somehow being populist and in, in, in a messaging, in a message which ironically isn't actually really popular if you really test the market. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a funny place to find ourselves in as a country. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you were talking a lot there, you, you know, what I was thinking is really the idea that, that, um, politics is, is downstream from culture. And, and one of the, one of the big problems, which we still haven't grasped in, in South Africa, um, they're starting to learn this in Europe and they started, and they've certainly learned to the United States, um, is that the left has been running the show. And I, I, I mean that in the context of, 50, 60 years in, in the, in the sort of first world, Western world, developed world, whatever you want to call it, um, by, by running the culture. And if you run the culture, you run the politic. And in South Africa, the same thing has, has kind of happened. They, they run the culture. You know, Roman's talking about bludgeoning people's intuitions. Um, and that's, that's a, <laughs> those are a lot of those things are sort of cultural beliefs. They're inbred beliefs. And, 
Um, a lot of the things you're talking about is really, if you bring it down to anything, it's collectivism versus individualism. Um, you've got, uh, you, you even mentioned now, you were talking about how the, the corporate world has benefited from the successes of average South Africans. But actually, the corporate world doesn't exist. There are individuals who run companies. Those companies make up the corporate world. And those individuals benefit from that, but the people they employ benefit. You know? And the, the problem is, is that Julius and people like him get to sort of hammer down on these things because if you go open a company and it becomes big and successful, then you become part of white monopoly capital or whatever, whatever word they're using to, to um, demonize. demonize it mm. today. Um, and, and then, and then you're the bad person, but actually, you know, you look at, you look at, uh, I forget his name now, then started checkers, you know, and, and for a while they were going at him, um, and they, they went off to ABSA as well. Um, you know, let, but let's stick to the checkers example. That's someone who, and if I recall Bisson. correctly, employs shop, right? It's Whitey Bisson, that's it. Mm. Um, if I recall correctly, he employs more than half a million people. Uh, in this country, um, and 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 he, you know, he's putting food on the. Well, he's allowing individuals who work for him to put food on their families' That's tables, right. um, right. and 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 unfortunately, unfortunately, there's a lot of basic misunderstanding of these small concepts, but they're in the culture. So there's a mis- cultural misunderstanding of how economics works, um, or. Uh, what true fairness or true liberty is for people. Um, you know, if one person has more than another, uh, the, the, the cultural view is that's unfair, except that's not unfair. It's actually the definition of liberty because one has made certain choices that put them in a certain place and another has made choices which put them in another place. Um, and I, I just think that this is really where, where it comes down to is, is, you know, people got upset with us recently when we, we posted something about owning the libs. Um, and I, I, we use that in the American context of, of, you know, what the American liberal left is. Um, but they got very upset with us because we said owning the libs. But at the end of the day, if, if you want to win this political battle, you have to win the cultural battle as well. And winning the cultural battle is what owning the libs is about. Yeah, um, just a few things to correct there. Um, I, I never spoke spoke about co- corporate South Africa. I spoke about the private sector, and I want to remember that I'm 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 pro market. I'm not pro business necessarily, because you, you're describing mm. exactly why I'm 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 pro markets when you say when you warn against you know corporate South Africa and how they tend to want to then build very cozy relationships with politicians in order to write the sort of rules that exclude others um, for their personal benefit. The idea of politicians picking winners and losers in society, where they become the winners, that is, um, not through competition and, and opening markets, but through you know uh, essentially coercive and manip- manipulative means. But anyway, a very small little point I wanted to get to. But yeah, look, Jonathan, you, you're right broadly. Um, one of the things I often say is one has to be very careful of politicians who are trying to change who are trying to change what works with what sounds good um, because that's where we are right now in this country I mean, and that's where the ANC is faltering because again if I come back to my example there was a period in this country where we were beginning to really make great progress um, and again 
And I say this, I'm not saying that South Africa is somehow perfect. No, I'm just basically saying on an economic front, we're beginning to build the sort of basket required that people could, you know, pick the fruits out of and, and do with, 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 do with, with that, that they see fit. You know, the idea that, you know, with, in a growing economy, people can then, um, build their skills, their knowledge and their abilities and pursue their own self-interest and, and make something of their lives. Um, but again, you know, just to sort of whittle down to a, a, a more substantive point, it's, it, it'll be this. If we really are serious as South Africans, um, about building a property owning and a prosperous society, then two things really need to happen in the here and now. One, we really need to stop listening to the politicians and actually start, and this will sound weird, but just bear with me. We, we actually need to start believing in the sort of cultural things that are inherent in each family in this country. I mean, as, as classical liberals, we talk a lot about the individual, but really we're a family society. And if you really want to argue the three things that make each South African family uh, what they are is a deep love of um, and a deep sense of wanting to improve the lot of the family. That's why you will have parents in this country who will work the most menial jobs and the most difficult jobs. They do this not because they love that, but they do it for the benefit of family. Um, the idea that I, I need to build an income with an income, I can buy options. Those options allow me to improve the lot of the family over time. So the Africans are very realistic about that. Don't, don't fool yourself. Don't, don't confuse what the politicians say with the short term, short termism of, of their lingo. Like, oh yes, we'll give you this right now and this will make you great or we'll, we'll, we'll take away from another and give it to you. South Africans aren't necessarily fooled by this, and the polling shows this. I mean, you spoke a lot about the Institute's polling, but one poll that the Institute ran, uh, it asked the question um, on issues of race, for example, and whether South Africans believe they need each other. They need each other as different races and different class groups to, in order to make the country successful. Again, 80% of respondents said, yes, South Africans need each other in different, you know, the different group, uh, groups and different races if we're to succeed. That speaks to what I'm trying to maybe get to the, po- to the nub of here. The idea that at a family level, we recognize the need um, to better the family. And then when we head out into day-to-day South Africa, we don't sort of view the world as black and white. We view as what can I do for my family in this marketplace um, in order to to improve my lot, and that doesn't include calling whites thieves and uh, you know dismissing them as as just being the you know the source of all evil in this country. Equally, it doesn't include viewing all black people as criminals or you know the source of all anarchy in the country. Again, I'm just trying to make the broad point about what South African society is in reality versus what the appearance that the politicians give us a very sort of Shakespearean th- term or concept in that regard of appearances versus reality. Yeah, I, I think I think the biggest um, asset that the EFF and ANC have is is not. Um, or undermining the fact that eight out of ten South Africans relatively think the same thing about various issues. Um, and that's very powerful. That's very powerful. On the show, we keep saying that because the person who's your car guard or the person who helps you pack your groceries at, at checkers or the person who, you know, hires you for a job one day, whatever their race, whatever, whatever their gender, whatever their religion, eight out of ten times they think what you do. They think that economic growth is important. They think that they should, uh, that your kids should have the means to have a good education. They think that, uh, crime is a problem. All, you know, 
as I say repeatedly, 80% of South Africans think the same thing as you. And this notion that somehow the, you know, the various tribes are that different from each other is, is absolute bollocks. Total nonsense. But the politicians have been exceptionally good at driving the wedge between the, the different races for their own gain. And, and I would hate to think the, if I can explain the, the psychological damage that has, that has caused, uh, this country. Absolutely. And it's, it's one of the reasons why through Big Daddy Liberty, I, I have this goal because I'm now, I'm now, <laughs> I'm now devoting my life, so to speak, and my professional life, um, to advancing ideas that actually benefit South Africans. And I, my, one of my stated goals is to begin to break the grip, uh, the vice grip, if you will, that politicians have over mostly poor and often black communities where they create these lagers of socialism where they convince people that this is the only way to build wealth is by confiscating things from other people in order to give to them. And it's often at odds with those very people um, who say, no, but I've been building slowly my own income, my own building my own household savings. Um, I mean, I shared a story very recently on on Twitter of this this, this young man in um, Potchefstroom who was so tired of waiting for that 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 message uh, or the delivery from that message from politicians that he just said, you know what, stuff it, I'm going to do things for myself. And he built himself this beautiful home using, um, you know, a building material, excess building material from building sites. Um, again, to you and me, because we live in plush middle-class South Africa, we might look at that and think, oh, I wouldn't live in that. But to him, the, the alternative was either being homeless or having, you know, a, a rundown shack waiting for the state or, Choosing to do something using his own knowledge, skills, and abilities to build something for himself. Now, is it perfect? No, it isn't. Um, but by God, what the government can do to support someone like him is to give him the sort of rights and, and in this particular instance, property rights so that he owns that piece of land and he can develop it further because he's clearly shown the initiative to want to do this. And I argue often that that is the actual South African story. That is that is day-to-day, everyday South Africa. It's people wanting to build their own lives and take control of their own futures as long as the politicians get out the way and just provide the opportunity of what is the state's role um, and give people access to the market. You would see a very different kind of South Africa develop from that. You, you, you might, Sifle. You might very well see that. And, and in fact, I mean, evidence seems to show that you would. Uh, if the government sort of stepped out of the way and, 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 and just got out of the way, uh, you know, we discussed recently what was behind America's boom at the moment. And it's, in my opinion, it's not necessarily Donald Trump. It's, it's deregulation, yeah. um, which is the government getting out of the way. Um, my, my problem is, is that I, I'm not, I, I, I think to say most South Africans want economic growth, for example, is a completely fair statement. Um, the problem is, is that Bladen Zamundi wants economic growth and Jonathan Witt wants economic growth. And the, the, the problem is, is we have very different views of how we get there. Uh, and that's where the issue comes in. We still must be aware that we, we have 60% roughly of the voting population. Yes, I'm aware a lot of people don't vote, but 60% of the people who do, who probably also want economic growth, vote for the ANC. And the ANC has proven over 25 years that they are almost incapable of doing that. They they can produce some growth for periods of time, but not before literally sticking that, that stick into the bicycle spoke that they're on 
and, you know, falling over the handlebars and then going, you know, damn whatever the flavor of the day is, damn white monopoly capital or, or damn apartheid or damn whatever it is. Um, they, they cannot stop from sabotaging themselves in those processes. Um, so I, I think we've, we've got a bigger problem. We all want um, prosperity. Uh, most humans, I think, are looking for that. Uh, but a lot of people are very um, unwise or uninformed with regards to how we actually get there. And they believe that following the party that has uh, uh, tacked its flag onto the um, the uh, communist socialist paradigm is the way to go. Let me, let me speak to this quite directly. The, the, the biggest uh, fallacy that we've, we've seen in this country is the ANC essentially appro- <clears throat> appropriating the language of capitalism, but essentially employing cronyism to do things. And then when that mm. fails, blaming capitalism. So what do I mean by this? The ANC, yes, we all want growth, as you're saying, but really the ANC's model of growth is big industry, um, you know, uh, statist arrangements, uh, you know, where politicians to a large extent control where industry is, how industry is formed, and a very cozy relationship with big business. Hence, you, essentially the corporatist arrangement that even Cyril Ramaphosa loves, hence his job summit and his investment summit. All of these conversations happen without actual poor people and essentially small entrepreneurs who should be the drivers of, of, of growth. It's that difference again between being pro-business and being pro-market. If you're pro-market, then you recognize that actually the people who build a, an economy and I really mean build it in an inclusive way. You know, this idea of an inclusive growing economy are small businesses. So the mama who sells fresh fruit and veg on the side of the road should be allowed to do that. She should not be harassed by metro cops who then come and confiscate her goods and tell her that she's in the wrong place because she doesn't have a permit. That woman is literally doing what she needs to do to build an income. With that income, build household savings. With those savings, improve the lot of her family and essentially ensure that the next generation have better opportunities. That's actually the form formula of a a market approach to things. In this country, we have a business approach to things or a corporatist or a statist, um, a lot of terms I'm throwing out here, uh, uh, arrangement of things. And then when that fails, as it it often does, or when it falters and shakes, as it often, uh, we've seen it it do, the ANC are very quick then to blame capitalism or just find some sort of scapegoat um, in order to sort of pin the blame on that. So there's the large, and and there's an even bigger point I want to make. In order to then preserve this arrangement, because remember, a statist is not really interested in having a, a free market where, uh, especially, you know, your poor black South African is able to compete. And if that poor black South African is able to outcompete you, literally put you out of business. I would love that. I would love a situation where, uh, we, we see, uh, people who have good ideas, who are willing to trade, work hard, being able to compete with the big likes of, let's say, a, a big mining firm, a big, uh, media firm. But we're not doing this. We're basically writing laws that preserve the status quo. And and then blaming essentially the market uh, in this. And by the way, they've also begun to employ an army of so-called intellectuals, um, you know, whether they're on social media or in the media, to defend these arrangements. I recently shared a a, a uh, screenshot of a very famous South African economist. She's, she's quite a sharp mind, but she she she's very statist in her approach, and she doesn't see the pitfalls of her nonsense sometimes. Um, uh, I'm just trying to remember her name as I speak. Tabi Leoka, she's an economist, and I think she's now an advisor to Cyril Ramaphosa, but she basically posted something, about, you know, this weird praise and worship of, of politicians. I mean, she was praising um, Gweta Mantashe, the mining minister, how he has this wonderful relationship with uh, corporate uh, bosses of mining companies, and they respect him, and he respects them. And I 
and in all of that, I was, you know, I sort of made the point, you know, this weird praise and worship of politicians and the crony arrangements that they build is actually rather shameful. Um, and when an economist does this, it, it kind of shows you that no one, there's a very poor understanding in this country of the power of free markets and actual freedoms, giving ordinary people the freedom to pursue uh, their own interests. What we re- what we do see as a summation, what we do see is a weird relationship between big business and corporate South Africa and politicians and them seeking to des- decide what the poor should be doing, where the poor should be. Yeah, yeah, and, and I keep going back to the same book uh, called The Tony of Experts, and everyone should read this. Really should. Oh, have you read it? You're the, uh, only, you're the only person that has read it. And the major argument is poor people are poor because they don't have rights, not because they don't have resources. If you have, if you want, I, th- I believe it's 9 million people living in traditional land arrangements in South Africa. Those people have no rights and they will remain in poverty in perpetuity until they are able to, to actually buy land elsewhere or get title deeds that will be able allow them to get capital or bequeath value to their heirs or beneficiaries. And that is sorely, sorely, sorely misunderstood in this country about these people have no rights, therefore they are poor. KZN, Eastern Cape, the poorest provinces in the country – Correlation, the highest amount of people living on traditional land. I mean, I want to speak to this because I'm a victim of this too. Um, we, uh, the Ngobese clan um, in, in Durban, my, my family, I shouldn't say the clan, sorry, but my family particularly, um, we have about 50 hectares of land in uh, a place called Emapumulo near Stanka. Uh, this is land that's been in the family for six, seven generations. That we, as far as we can trace back at the very least. Um, it's very productive land. And when I finished Varsity. One of the things I tried to do was to make productive use of this land and start an agribusiness. Um, and, you know, you, you start doing all the right things as, a, as, a, as an entrepreneur. You know, you, you're trying to establish what you have. Uh, in this case, how much land, how, where it is, can I fence it off? Um, and then can I seek to use it uh, as leverage for a loan? Um, and then the statism sort of creeps in slowly, where once you've fenced it off, you have a local induna, someone who... You know, works for the king or the state, uh, then say, oh, hang on, why did you fence this off? You didn't have permission from me. The idea of permission, the, the law, uh, or not law, but rather his 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 diktat in an area. Um, you know, then you sort of uh, try and you, you try and negotiate with this individual, and then you finally get this letter from him saying we own the land, which I found very weird because we we know we own this land. We've 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 lived on it for seven generations, and then with that letter, because I didn't understand at the time property rights, so I went to a bank trying to source a business plan. I had everything, um, trying to source funding to start this agri business, and the bank quite frankly said, "Look, we can't give you this loan because you don't have collateral," and the, this letter you're giving us is meaningless. You may have 50 hectares you live on, but you don't own it. You don't have a title deed for it. That was one of the first instances that really opened my eyes to the power of property rights and where there aren't any, how you'll never be able to build wealth um, in an area. You'll never be able to change lives. I mean, if I had been able to start that business, which was just a, a uh, you know, uh, animal husbandry, I would have been able to employ at least 10 or 15 people from that area in an area where the most reliable form of income was social grants. You would have changed the very nature of that community where people suddenly have an income and with that income buy options. So if I 
I, as just one example, have gone through that. How many more million other South Africans are going through this? And then we still pontificate around uh, property rights. And worse yet, politicians talk about, you know, eroding these rights even more. Right. I mean, we keep talking about Venezuela on the show and how we are, you know, moving ahead towards becoming that. But unfortunately for, for, for generations, people have been living in a Venezuelan hell, you know, hellhole. Absolutely. Uh, in this manner. Jonathan, on to you. Last question. Because the studio, you know, other people are coming. <laughs> well, it might not be the last question. I mean, maybe we can squeeze in a little bit more. I think you're being uh, too restrictive over here. Um, yeah, look, you, you know, basically, the other the other thing you, you mentioned there with regards to, well, there was a lot that you mentioned, but you, you mentioned in the beginning with regards to the economist uh, who is now advising Soro Ramaphosa. And in fact, he's taken on a lot of people uh, who I find quite questionable as advisors. Um, but this praise of politicians for pretty much doing their job uh, is, you know, going to meetings on time and showing respect to the other people at the meetings. Uh, that's kind of like just what normal people do uh, if they're employed to go to meetings and show respect to other people at the meetings. Um, is is sort of this, this mediocrity problem we have in South Africa, Absolutely. which is essentially that, and I don't even know that it's mediocrity anymore. I don't know what is kind of the level below that. There's no great sort of sum up word for it. But we 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 do the average or even the below average and we go, ah, it's not the absolute worst. And so we hold that up as gold standard. Mm. Uh, and this this seems to hamstring us in many, many areas and in many ways uh, where we just... Uh, seem to seem to uh, uh, appeal to just doing the basics right rather than doing anything brilliantly. Uh, and I, I'm not sure what what your feelings are on on that culture and how we change that. Well, it, we, we've abandoned the politics of aspiration in this country, um, and we now have this weird "we'll make do" type rhetoric, right? Um, so uh, we'll make do with not having another credit rating agency sort of downgrade us. You know, at least we avoided that. There's no sense of actually, if you rejig the way you view things, you can actually build an insanely prosperous country um, that includes the poor, that actually elevates the poor, has them be the drivers of growth. We, we don't, there's, that aspiration has sort of gone out the window um, and people are looking out for, you know, other sort of weird, people have... You now have a situation where the politics in this country has sort of gone into this weird, in, inert um, phase where, where no one's really looking to explore good ideas and, and, and grow the economy and, and, and change and basically move towards it being a more freedom-loving society that grows, is prosperous, et cetera, et cetera. But I would add this in maybe in, in summation. One of the things I want to achieve as Big Daddy Liberty is to be able to reinvigorate that politics of as, uh, of of of, uh, of aspirations, country at a most basic level. And there's three basic levels that I often talk about. It's the idea that uh, it's, it's a triple F, if you will: faith, f- flag, and the family. Now, when I talk about faith, I just speak to the fact that South Africans are a believing nation. We're a very religious nation, but uh, more and more than just the religion, we derive our values from that. From 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 that, and the values are actually quite shared. And so, one of the reasons why I argue that South Africans, even though we have these different religions, mostly Christian. 
that actually we, we, we get along because we share a lot of values um, that we derive from our particular faiths. Um, you know, the second element being the faith. Um, we may hate our government, but South Africans are fiercely loyal to this country. We want to see it succeed on the basis of we want to see other South Africans do well and we want to do well. Um, and we can do this in this place we call South Africa our home. Um, and you even see this when people are overseas, you know, like in London. You hear all these stories of, oh, they met in a pub and, you know, and they just totally when they found out that they're sitting next to another South African, they, they just, they, people light up and they, you know, it, and I always argue, why don't we have that in this country? You know, where people actually say, you know what, we're in this together and we can actually pull it off if we really focus on building a country um, that is property earning and is, you know, able to buy and large trade freely um, in a market economy. And, and the last one, and again, I'm really glossing over these. I'll speak to more detail on them. Um, and hopefully my own show. Hmm. Anyway, um, the last one is, is the, the notion of family. But that, and it's the point I was making earlier on. As, as classical liberals, we do talk a lot about you know individuals, and, and that's quite right. But really, we're also a family society. And people do anything and everything for the benefit of their families. And these are the values I want to begin to speak a lot to. And one of the things I will be doing as Big Daddy Liberty is touring this country, um, going from the Limpopo to the Cape to Harangua to Kaili. Literally speaking to communities all over this country um, around these three values and how we can actually begin to wage the battle of ideas by injecting good ideas um, to the people who really want to hear them and stand to benefit from them so that they can be significant and real pushback against the politicians who are trying to infuse bad ideas into these communities. And that's going to be my role from now. And I welcome anybody uh, whether you know you follow me on social media to just watch the space so uh, just to close off um t- tell me a little bit more about big daddy liberty what what is it uh and more importantly are you going to actually tell people that you know what just because we're a democracy it doesn't mean that your rights are secured absolutely it's a, a daily fight every single day and wake up to that fact look in short it's this i am big daddy liberty i'm your favorite fat boy you've been following me on social media and Essentially, I am now going out on a limb to begin to speak to ordinary South Africans around the country um, on these issues. I'll do this via uh, my own podcast. Sorry, guys, to uh, punt my own show on yours. Oh, we're happy for it. We, we, Jonathan, we've, <laughs> no always, we've always said we need more competition in this space. Well, and, there you go. Um, and, and the Zulu G will do it for us. There you go. So look out for the Big Liberty Show, the which will be launching... Yeah, I was just about to say, look, look out for the Big Liberty Show, which will be launching very soon, both as a podcast and a weekly show, um, and a lot more content from me around these issues where we can discuss freedom and build a freedom-loving society in this country. And over and above that, I will be touring the country, so stay in touch with me if you want me to come to your pocket of the world. Um, send me a message on my socials, um, and yeah, I will literally be doing a 100-city tour next year. Well, I, I can't wait. Uh, and see, if you need any help in promoting or – not that we know anything, Jonathan. Like, people keep saying, how do you do it? I say, well, I don't know. We do it every week consistently <laughs> and like we try and make it sort of funny. And so that seems to What work. are you talking about? Do you, you, you haven't told everyone about our team of 200 people. <laughs> <laughs> not, they're not supposed to know. <laughs> yes, this room is really crowded right now. There's like 100 people in here. <laughs> But yeah, um, but yeah, guys, so this is, this is going to be me. And, um, I really do want to build a broad coalition of, 
uh, South Africans who believe that we actually can build a property-earning and prosperous nation and really begin to shut the space down for politicians who are pushing the sort of toxic socialism that is destroying this country. Any last words, Mr. Witt? Cool. Yes, I just one one last thing uh, from Sikhle, just on a personal uh, level, which he has shared with his so-called socials. Um, he's been on this weight loss uh, uh, endeavor, yes. and he's doing quite well. So Absolutely. perhaps he can just uh, share a little bit about uh, what he's doing and and where he started and where he's got to. So Absolutely, far. yeah, guys. Look, it, it's it's actually quite simple. Um, you know, beating obesity is is. A, a big goal of mine, um, only because good health is something everybody should invest in. Um, so yeah, I began around 211 kilograms. That was in end of July. And I'm now sitting at just under 198. Um, so I've dropped quite a bit and I'm super happy at that. Um, and all it is really is just, um, you know, portion control, um, and ketosis, maintaining ketosis, uh, which is just, you know, cutting out the carbs, bumping up the good fats, um, and, and really exercise too. I mean, there's, there's no other way around this. Um, and really building a calorie deficit at the, at the, at, you know, at the end of the day, it's really, it's building calorie deficit and, you know, low carb, high fat is good for me because the fats keep you satiated. And, um, because you're satiated, I also fast. I'm an intermittent faster. Um, we have one meal a day usually. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's really working for me. Uh, I, I loathe putting out advice to other people. I just think, do your research, see what fits your body. Um, but this is definitely working for me. And, uh, who yes, knows? Yes. But what, I mean, do you actually do CrossFit yet? No, um, uh, then you're dead to me. No, <laughs> there you go. Um, but hey, but do you actually lift? Uh, Have you seen these, these, these pectorals in front of you? <laughs> but yeah, but look, just quite simply, you know, it's, um, good, 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 good health is, is very important to me now. And, um, yeah, maybe Big Daddy Liberty, but I want to live. So yeah, there you go. Amanda to that. Dr. Witt. Well, I'm just, uh, I'm completely shocked that you fat shaming yourself and, uh, you know, on, on, on that, I suppose we have to end the show. It's just, uh, terrible. I thought you were going to, uh, go the other way with this, but you know, what can we say? Uh, Ramon, uh, I'm sure you'll, 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 you'll summarize everyone's handles and all the rest of it, but just to the thank you to the Patreons or to the patrons on Patreon. Uh, just, uh, wanted to say thanks to everyone, uh, for helping to fund the show. We are, Use, putting your money to good use, there's uh, plenty of stuff coming uh, for all of you and for the listeners in general. So I really, really appreciate the support. Yep, especially uh, starting next year. But Jonathan, I'm going to let you go. Uh, thank you for joining us from the Republic Cheers. of Cape Town. Go check out some property there for when the revolution comes. Cape Town will stand <laughs> fast and firm against socialism. Yeah, Cyril Ramaphosa is the only guy who can afford property here. But uh, thanks. Cheers. And the Jews. Cheers. <laughs> and that him that he uh, 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 listen to me now. Um so that's Jonathan Gone. So of of course if you don't know who we are, Renegade underscore report on Twitter, Renegade Report on Facebook, uh, check out the Renegade Report group, of which Mr. Gobese is a member. Mm. And uh keep an eye out for Big Daddy Liberty. Yeah, that's right. It's at Big Daddy Liberty on Twitter, Big Daddy Liberty on Facebook, and of course Big Daddy Liberty on YouTube. Excellent. I can't wait for the competition to start. Uh, as always, thank you so much. See you next time.
This is CliffCentral.com.